Today from the Global Lane, hope amid war. Is spiritual revival coming? Dreams and visions in Gaza. They were hugging each other and, and you know, rejoicing and realized that all of them had the same vision that uh, each one of them had. The coming of the Mahdi. Iran ushering in an Islamic savior. Israel is a threat to Muslims, to the Mahdi, to the coming of the Mahdi Saudi. They have to be eliminated. There is no, no other solution. The 2024 World Watch list unveiled. Open Doors U.S. sounds the alarm about rising violence against Christians in sub-Saharan Africa. Whether it be attacks on houses of worship, whether that be actual personal residences of, of Christians, uh, these numbers continue to grow at alarming rates. Trump's historic win in Iowa and restoring confidence in the vote. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. During his recent trip to the Middle East, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced that four Arab nations and Turkey have offered to assist in planning the reconstruction and governance of Gaza once Israel ends its war against Hamas. Well, our next guest has another view of Gaza's future after the war. He believes a spiritual revival is about to break out. Desir Sada is a former PLO sniper and aide to Yasser Arafat. In the 1990s, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Today, he is founder of the Christian Hope of Peace Foundation. His story is told in the book, Once an Arafat Man. Tass, it's good to talk with you. So let's look uh, forward to the day after Israel's war against Hamas. Explain what you see happening spiritually in Gaza. Uh, I do believe we're going to have a lot of revival, a lot of believers coming through. It's already happening today, as far as I know from my team on the ground. Uh, many Muslims are looking for an alternative to Islam. And uh, so naturally, my team are always uh, promoting uh, Christianity and uh, their life whenever it's safe. And so we are looking at a, a, a good revival going on already in the Gaza Strip due to what has happened, really. Uh, despite of the destruction that is taking place, I believe God have a purpose to, uh, to get the, the Palestinians in Gaza uh, wake up and, and uh, look at a different alternative to, uh, to what they believe. How about during, during the war as it's continuing? Our hearts turning, what do you I see happening? So. I just got a report from one of my team members uh, that uh, about 200 Gazans gave their heart to Jesus in one lump sum because uh, the Lord appeared to them in, uh, in visions and dreams and they they were hugging each other and 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 uh, you know rejoicing and realized that all of them had the same vision that uh, each one of them had and so obviously the lord is doing his work and uh, the believers around also in in the land are are doing their work well looking forward then again uh, Jordan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Turkey are offering to help reconstruct and govern Gaza after the war. So what do you think of that idea? Uh, Qatar will be a, a, a better alternative from what, uh, what they have as their own leadership. The Palestinian Authority is really not the answer. They are not interested anyway. 
Qatar or United Arab Emirates, they all don't like each other. But yet, when it comes to the Palestinians, they all come together. And so, you know, uh, I think Qatar is taking the lead. Uh, they are doing a lot more talk to the Israelis. And uh, I think uh, what Qatar has done in, uh, in Doha, I grew up in Doha, Qatar. Uh, I went there a couple of times. I did not find my way because it changed so, so much. Tass, aren't, aren't, they, aren't they hosting uh, Hamas? Uh, haven't they helped create Hamas and be part of the whole Muslim Brotherhood they thing? They did. That's, that's a big concern. I'm glad, I'm glad you bring that up. And I, I really believe... All of these Arab nations are in uh, in allowing Israel to do what they need to do because they are tired of this issue, the Palestinian issue, and they want to see a solution. And uh, by, by destroying Hamas entirely and uh, turning over uh, the Gaza Strip to Qatar or the United Arab Emirates, uh, Gaza Strip would become probably, eventually, it'll be another Singapore. And that's what I'm hoping for. As you know, Secretary of State Blinken and President Biden are pushing a two-state solution. So two-state or one-state, which would work better? I, I don't believe in the two-state solution. I, from the beginning, from early days of my salvation, when I read the Bible, there is no two states. There is one state. Israel for both to live equally and justly. And I believe, uh, you know, I'm working with the Israeli team and Palestinian team myself are talking about a federation. And uh, we have already created uh, 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 all the, the ways how we can get it done. It's a matter of getting the, the leadership, uh, especially the United States, to buy into this idea and take the federation as an idea, the federation of Israel or federation of Israel-Palestine. I would rather federation of Israel and, and just leave it at that. As you know, our viewers are praying for the peace of Jerusalem and an end to this war. So what else should they be praying right now and how can they help? Pray for Israel and the Palestinian people to see the the uh, to see the vision of what is better for them. Uh, if I look at it as a Palestinian myself, the Arabs have not done that much for me, to be honest about it. Israel have uh, you know looking at what Israel has done in the years that Israel have been established. Look at where they are at and where the Palestinians are. I would rather to be united with Israel and give the Palestinians equal rights within the Palestinian. That's, that's the idea of the federation that we are working on with my Israeli team. Uh, this federation will be an equal justice for all Israelis and Palestinians to live equally and justly. Israelis are worried that if this federation idea takes place, then the numbers of the Muslims will be higher. And that's not true. That's not true. The Federation will not include the Gaza Strip and take the West Bank and make it as part of Israel and create a federation of Israel and Palestine together into one nation 
uh, I believe the Palestinians would be much better off. Their leadership, their leaders have not done anything. Yeah. You know, from Mahmoud Abbas on, and before that, Yasser Arafat. The people around him who are now leading, they are the crooks, to be honest about it. And, and they robbed their people. Okay, we'll see what transpires in the days ahead, and we'll keep praying. Taysir Sada, thank you for your time and insights. God bless you. Thank you, and pray for the Federation. Anti-Semitism or something more? Iran has long vowed to wipe out Israel. Dale Hurd reports Iranian leaders are motivated by a belief that the Jewish state must be eliminated before the return of an Islamic figure known as the Mahdi. Iran has been indoctrinating its fighters throughout the Middle East in the belief that Israel is the biggest obstacle to the return of the Mahdi and that there must be an apocalyptic war that destroys both Israel and Jews around the world. Islamic expert Raymond Ibrahim. So the Mahdi, as, as an English speaker would pronounce it, it's really Mahdi, which basically means guided. So he's the guided one, or in Islamic understanding, he's the rightly guided one. And he takes on different guises, depending on which sect of Islam you ask, Sunni or Shia. Sunnis, the majority of the world's Muslims, believe the Mahdi has not yet been born. The Prophet said, hadith is in Abu Dawood, a man shall come towards the end of times. His name will be my name, and the name of his father will be the name of my father, meaning Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Shia Islam, which is dominated by Iran, teaches that the Mahdi is already alive and has been hiding for over a thousand years. Brother Rashid, a former Muslim, hosts a Christian program for Muslims called Daring Questions. The Shia Muslims, especially the Twelver Shiism, they believe that he is the 12th Imam and he was born around 868, so he just disappeared. He's still alive until today. His age is 1155, if you want to. So he's still living somewhere. And um, one day he will show himself. Muslims in Iran believe the Mahdi is hiding in this well in the mosque of Jamkaran. Pilgrims peer down the well with flashlights, leave prayer requests for the Mahdi and hope he will reappear. Muslims believe that when the Mahdi returns, he will be accompanied by Jesus, known in Islam as the Prophet Isa, to rid the world of evil. Iranian leaders have seized upon belief in the final battle before the Mahdi's return to motivate its military and allies to fight harder to destroy Israel. And a lot of the, you know, Islamic schools or jihadists, are being indoctrinated by by Iranian propaganda in in Mahdism, and again, it always centers around Israel and attacking and destroying Israel. Some believe in the next phase of its plan to wipe out Israel, Iran might initiate a multi-front attack through its heavily armed proxy armies in Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. Ibrahim and Brother Rashid say the doctrine of the Mahdi's return means that any attempts by Israel to make peace with the Muslim world will ultimately prove to be futile. Israel is a threat to Muslims, to the Mahdi, to the coming of the Mahdi Saudi, they have to be eliminated. There is no, no other solution. So I don't think Israel could ever have permanent peace unless Islam were to completely change itself and become not Islam, to be something completely different. 
And Ibrahim worries that Iran might be willing to use a nuclear weapon against Israel to ensure the return of the Mahdi. Dale Hurd joins us to provide some additional insights. So, Dale, if religious belief and the hastening of the return of the Islamic Mahdi are the motivation for Iran's actions, what's the solution? Yeah, it probably involves weapons and a lot of money. It's interesting that a, Palesti a former Palestinian refugee camp occupant, uh, a guy who was in one of the Lebanon camps, you know, we were talking about this, and he said that the problem with Gaza, the problem with all of this is Islam. And that sounds really simplistic until you go to this and you see that uh, there is evidence that the Mahdi idea, the Mahdi doctrine, was the idea behind the Gaza attack and could be the idea now behind a multi-tiered attack against Israel. Well, traders expect the price of oil to reach about $110 per barrel this spring because of ongoing tensions in the Red Sea region. So is there more than just the ushering in of the Mahdi motivating Iran here to create this mayhem in the Middle East with the Houthis attacking uh, shipping? There's certainly that. I also think that they're using the Houthis because Iran knows their military is not very good and they would get flattened in a direct confrontation with the United States. It doesn't help that this administration has been giving Iran a hug in the form of, you know, trying to free up their money and so forth. It's only encouraged their belligerence. But yeah, they, they want to keep this up. And I think the only way there will be peace in the Middle East, at least in that region, is when the Iranian government is neutralized. Well, let's talk about that. You've been reporting on this for a long time. So what do you see happening in the days ahead? A broader war with other Iranian proxies like Hezbollah in Lebanon, the uh, militias in Iraq and Syria, even Iran itself? And I think Iran will do all it can to prolong or prevent a direct war with United States or NATO nations or Britain because, I mean, they're still, they're still showing F-4 phantoms from the Vietnam War in some of their military promotional videos. Their military is, I think, very uh, under-equipped and inept. Um, and, but, and so they're going to go to these proxy forces that people may not know they have in several nations. They have proxy armies in Iraq, in Yemen, in Syria, of course, in Lebanon. And as I have mentioned, people fear a multi-tiered attack scenario in which each of these armies take a crack at Israel. Okay, Dale Hurd, thanks for your insightful report and those additional thoughts. Open Doors U.S. has just released its annual World Watch List, and the global persecution trend is alarming. Although fewer Christians died for their faith in 2023, violent attacks against Christians and their churches are rising dramatically, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. Well, Ryan Brown is CEO of Open Doors U.S. He joins us to explain. Ryan, what's happening to Christians in sub-Saharan Africa, and why are the attacks worsening? Great question. Yes, I think one of the, the primary reasons is that this, so many of these countries are already considered fragile states uh, where governments um, do not necessarily have a full control of, of what, what is going on in these countries. And therefore, in these countries, Christians can become easy targets. Uh, for those that are looking to, to create instability within those environments, uh, Christians can often be targets that they can um, 
go against that um, they can do so with impunity. Uh, they, they've received no consequence for, for those actions because, again, Christians are, are not uh, often protected or, or recognized uh, by the governments in those areas. Although the overall global death numbers are down, I know you found that more than 82% of the Christians killed for faith reasons were in Nigeria. That's alarming. So why is the U.S. State Department not listening to the country as one of particular concern? That is a good question, um, and you know one that I think that there are probably many factors that uh, could talk to many different folks and get many different opinions on that. But uh, the, the reality is, is that Christians uh, do suffer severely because of their faith in Nigeria. Uh, as you referenced, um, Nigeria alone, uh, that the number of people that have been killed because of their faith, uh, that number surpasses all other countries in the globe combined. So truly an area where there's a lot of instability and a lot of uh, need to be lifting up our brothers and sisters in prayer. Where, where else in Africa are you concerned about? Yeah, really th throughout that that area. There, there are some areas of encouragement. For example, uh, you know, we, we do see some uh, changes in, in Mali that um, have given reasons for, for optimism. But really throughout that 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 uh, you know, whole sub-Saharan and uh, area, there are alarming trends uh, where we continue to see violence. And that again, that violence, not necessarily just characterized in those that have been martyred for their faith, but as well as violence perpetuated against Christians, whether those be physical attacks, whether it be attacks on houses of worship, whether that be actual personal residences of, of Christians, uh, these numbers continue to grow at alarming rates. Any specific country surprises this year? Which ones concern you the most right now around the world? Yeah, you know, I think every region has its story to tell, uh, certainly. I think, you know, one of the, the, the larger increases uh, this year was actually in Nicaragua. Uh, so, you know, not, not too far from, from us here in the U.S. And it is one that continues to see alarming trends where the, the government is, is really seeing, uh, you know, the, the Christian uh, population as threats to to the government as threats to, to control and therefore enact um, you know, these, these uh, persecutions against uh, believers in, in those areas. That's Daniela Ortega and the Sandinistas, a communist government. So how should our viewers respond then and what should they pray around the world for believers? Yeah, I think the first thing is, is awareness, um, and you know certainly that's uh, the primary reason why we make this world watch list available is to provide credible information for believers to to rally behind and and inform their prayers. But the, the hope is that it, it does truly drive believers to prayer, to to lift up our brothers and sisters, to identify with our brothers and sisters in their persecution around the globe. Um, I cannot tell you how often I have heard you know reports back from brothers and sisters around the globe who have been so encouraged just by the awareness that they have not been forgotten, that brothers and sisters around the globe are, are lifting them up in prayer. Again, so many of our brothers and sisters are not necessarily seeking to flee that persecution, not looking to escape that persecution, but simply seeking to be the hands and feet of Christ within that context of persecution, looking to, uh, you know, for prayer, for encouragement that their their testimony and their faith will not, not falter or fail uh, in the face of such mounting odds. Pray for their perseverance. Okay, I'm Absolutely. sure people can find your full list and your report at your website, correct? That is correct, opendoorsus.org. 
Uh, there will be links there to the prayer resources as well as to the watch list. Okay, Ryan Brown, Open Doors U.S. Thank you, Ryan, for being with us. God bless you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Donald Trump's impressive record-setting victory in the Iowa caucus made the headlines this week. But a poll of Iowa caucus goers captured my attention. 66%. That's two out of every three attendees polled said they believe Joe Biden's win over Trump in 2020 was illegitimate. To me, that shows an astonishing distrust in the U.S. voting system. Now, I'm not here to rehash the past, but I think we need to make changes in the way we conduct elections if vote integrity and confidence are to be restored. So what must be done? A Gallup poll taken in 2022 found that nearly 80% of those polled said voter ID should be required. In other words, you must prove that the person casting the ballot is actually the person listed on the registration roll. That makes sense to me. If you're required to show an ID to rent a car or a hotel room or to get a hunting or a fishing license, why not to vote? And what about ballot harvesting? Should a person be able to visit a nursing home and cast ballots for elderly residents? In 2021, Michigan State Attorney General Dana Nessel, she charged a woman in Michigan with forging signatures and obtaining absentee ballots for illegally incapacitated persons under her care without their permission or knowledge. The woman was caught found guilty of election fraud. But it makes you wonder how many other people are doing the same thing but haven't been caught. The practice of ballot harvesting needs to go. What else can be done? How about stopping the mass mailing of ballots to people who don't request one? In the fall of 2021, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed legislation sending mail-in ballots to all registered voters in the Golden State. California had 11 million unaccounted for ballots in 2022. Officials insisted there was no indication of fraud there. Regardless, mailing ballots to every registered voter may not be the best approach to restore voter confidence. So what else should be done? Paper ballots and single-day voting with absentee voting only allowed for a valid reason. So folks, if we're serious about safeguarding our republic, then we must make sensible changes to restore election integrity. Without it, our nation is at risk. As Benjamin Franklin said, it's a republic if you can keep it. Let's do all we can to keep it. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Rumble, and Xfinity Cable. And until next time, be blessed.